Good morning, everybody. I am not Jeff Hubbard. My name is Pat Dykes. I am the youth pastor here uh, at Pooler Bible. Can everybody wave at me? Wave. Hey, hey, good morning. To you online, I see you. Waving at you. We haven't forgot about you. We love you too. Um, So being a youth pastor is a privilege and an honor. Um, Believe it or not, I'm out of my element here speaking to multiple ages, but I am so humbled and so grateful to be here. But I'm still going to give you a youth perspective. I'm going to give you a little icebreaker. That's what we have to do as youth pastors. So I've got to kind of judge the crowd by age uh, and online participate with us too. Um, If you're over 25 years old in here, I love you. I'm not calling you old. I'm over 25. But if you're over 25 years old, Look at your neighbor and say, amen. Amen. All right. Y'all did pretty good. Pretty good. Not quite as good as the first service, um, but uh, we'll let it pass. So if you're under 25, F-A-C-T-S, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, facts. All right. I want you to do it again, but I want you to say, facts, bro. All right. So if you hear something in this sermon and you agree... If you're over 25, I want to hear an amen. If you're under 25, I want to hear facts. Because us young folks, that's the trend. So us older folks, we can kind of, we'll be a melting pot here. We'll understand the lingo here. So I just want to relate to everyone, not just one generation. So that's my challenge. So I appreciate that. So before we get started, uh, I'm going to pray. Will you bow your heads with me? It's going to be a very different prayer because I want you to pray for me. So I'm going to pray, but as you're praying for me, I'm going to give you a second to pray. Pray God would speak to you through me, and pray that God would speak through me. So pray right now that God would speak to you through me, and that God would speak through me. I'll give you a couple seconds, and then I'm going to pray. Dear God, we know that there's nothing we can do without you. I pray that you would speak through me. Dear God, that just whatever it is that someone needs in here, uh, dear God, that you would just use your word to reveal what they need. Dear God, any outer word is unnecessary. You don't need me. All you need is your word. Dear God, we love you and praise you. Your name, amen. So now today, uh, this may seem kind of scary what I'm about to tell you, but we're actually going to be going through Genesis chapter 12 all the way to 22. You're like, man, it says 18 and 22. You lied to me. Now, that's where the meat of the story is. But we're going to go through 11 passages of Scripture. You got the timer set to two hours, right? No, I'm just kidding. So we're not going to read them all, but I'm going to summarize them. And in each passage, there's just a little nugget of truth that you can grab. So we do have a main theme here. And the main theme is going to be, why would God allow Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? What a great question. It's a question that stirs up so many people. It's a question that is one of the most divisive things in Scripture. It's a deal breaker for some people. But I believe it's a deal breaker because we're missing information. We, as people, will see one little thing online and then we'll just believe it without context. And it's very dangerous. So... I would say this. If there's 249 verses before... Abraham sacrifices Isaac, and we focus on this one instance, wouldn't you say we're missing information? Wouldn't you say there's some context missing to answer this question? 
maybe you in your own life, has anybody ever judged you based off of one thing that happened in your life? Just one thing, and they base their whole reputation on it. It's not fair. They don't know you. They don't know the whole context. So with that being said, raise your hand in here if you like movies. Movies? We got a few series that we're going to put on the screen here. Please raise your hand if you, if you like any of these, this series. Who likes this series? Man, yes, yes. I'm so excited. First service, it was like one person got booed. Was that you, Brandon? I think it was Brandon. Uh, okay, we'll let it pass. Well, you're on staff still. We'll let it pass. What about this? Who likes these? Some of you love these. Some of you are like, mm, not so much. All right, next one. Yes. You love those, but you don't like The Hobbit? You don't like C.S. Lewis, Lewis inspired Lord of the Rings Christian fantasy? How dare you? Family, right? I got you. That's what it is, family. Is there any more? Things? Oh, The Matrix? Yeah. All right, do this for me. Yell out your favorite series just right now, just audibly. You're allowed to talk. Nobody said Airbud. Airbud, there's like 45 Airbud movies. Rocky, Twilight, Rocky Balboa. Who likes Rocky? All right. Amen. So, a question I have for you is what psychopath, what deranged person would let you watch the last movie in a series? What person, who would you bring to a movie theater and say, let's watch fi- uh, Fast and Furious 10? What? What about the other nine? Who would watch the, you'd be really confused if you watched the last Lord of the Rings movie. You'd be like, what is going on? You wouldn't do that, right? You would not present the final piece to the story. Now, I, I have some, some data here, some facts for you. There are 22 Marvel movies that lead up to the movie Marvel's Avengers Endgame. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that series. So pretty much everybody knows about it. Now, if there's 47 hours required to understand this movie, 47 hours, you wouldn't bring a friend to watch Endgame and let them sit in the theater and disturb the rest of the theater. You would turn your cell phone down like a good citizen, turn your brightness off. You you wouldn't be like, who's that green guy? Who's that guy? What, what's going on with the sword and the shield? Like thunder, or bracelet, rocks. Where are all these infinity stones? I don't understand what's going on. You wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't be that kind of person, hopefully. That would be very mean. You would get them to watch and build up to it, right? Now, why is it when it comes to the Bible, we'll take a hard Bible passage and just say, this doesn't make sense. But we don't read it. So is it fair to take a friend? Raise your hand if you think it's okay to take your friend to the movie and watch the last movie in the series without the rest of it. No one would. So now is it fair for you to poorly explain God's character in the Bible because you don't know your Bible? Is it fair for you to take a story like Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac, leave out... 10 chapters of the Bible, 249 verses, and then expect them to understand it? We don't do it with movies. Why would we do it with God's Word? God's Word is way more important than the Fast and Furious movies, right? So, (laughs) facts, I love it. Thank you, brother. So, what did you say? You're not 30. Ooh, shots fired. 
So um, God, God has called us as believers to be in season and out of season. And with that being required is, is reading God's word in context and knowing God's word in context. So if you will, please stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Notice I did not say Genesis chapter 11 through 22. So I narrowed it down here for you. So let's, let's try this. Uh, let's read this out loud together. We're, we're going we're gonna to try this together. All right. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Verse 18. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 19. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did not, or he did receive him back. So you could be seated. Thank you so much. Um, I think sometimes as believers, sometimes as Christians, it's good to read God's word. We just went through the whole series of Revelation with our youth group. We went through every verse, every chapter, but in context, we needed to understand a few things like what is the rapture. So we went through First and Second Thessalonians. We got the context, the background. We walked through the whole series, and we walked through it with them, and it was fruitful. It was amazing. Now, with this passage of Scripture, uh, we're seeing the end, the end game. So I want to go through, and I'm going to summarize this scripture. And I tried to make it witty. I tried to make it fun. We're going to go through the, each of the chapters. I've got a little tagline there. The first one you'll see is you get, you get the pretty woman, you get the money bag. Now, that's just a cliche thing. So it's, that's not necessarily true. But once I read these, these passages of scriptures, you're going to get the taglines. There are many lessons kind of chopped up for you uh, because we're going through so much scripture. Now, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and promises to bless him. Uh, he says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a whole nation out of you. Those who bless you, Abraham, I will bless. Those who dishonor you, I will dishonor. Children of God, isn't that good to know? Abraham is 75. Sarah is 65. So, mental note, Lot, their nephew, is in this story. He gets skipped over entirely all the time, but he's very important in this context. So Abraham and Sarah were, were childless. Sarah could not have children. They were barren. God told him he would bless him with land and he would inherit. Now there was a famine going on. You tell me I'm about to have some kids and you tell me I'm about to have a whole lot of land when it's dry outside and my wife can't have children. going to start to doubt as any human being would. They had to go to Egypt. Now in going to Egypt when God called them to start this journey, Abraham's faith was good. But he had a few things to work on. He, he's scared because Scripture says his wife was beautiful. Man, when Scripture says your wife is beautiful and she's 65, amen, brother. She's, uh, she's got, it. It's got it going on. Amen. That's going to be you, baby. I'm looking at you right now. 65, you're going to be beautiful same, same way. And all of you in here, you are all beautiful. Even if you are saying amen or even if you're saying facts, you're all beautiful, just so you know. But context here. His wife was so beautiful that he was scared when he took her into Egypt that people would take her for her beauty, right? I'm not sending my wife to the beach by herself. Everybody's going to go try to say hey to her, right? It's going to sound like kind of the same context. Well, guess what happens? They do take her. He, Abraham has a plot. He says, well, I'll just tell them that she's my sister. 
what happens in verse 16, it says, And for her sake he dealt with Abraham. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. If you had a camel back then, they wasn't domesticated. That was like having spinning rims on your, I don't know, your Cadillac Escalade. It was, it was an honor to have a camel. It was a sign of wealth back then. So this shows his wealth. Scripture shows his wealth. So Pharaoh blessed him with wealth and livestock because of Sarah's beauty. The Lord struck Pharaoh with plagues. All all these things happen, but Abraham is wealthy and blessed by God because God promised it. Now, to conclude this, to say you get the Christian girl because she's beautiful, you get the money, that doesn't apply. That's not what I'm trying to get you to go. It's a little little cliche, but it it is true in this case. Because of Sarah... God blesses him. So he has all of these things uh, going into chapter 13 through 14, which we're going to jump into now. So Genesis 13, it even verifies what we just said. Abraham had so many possessions, so much wealth, so much land. I wish this was me, that you're trying to, to divide it. When I moved into my first house, I had this idea that, man, this house is big and it's empty. It's just me and my wife. There's no way I'll be able to fill it all up. That's not true. Five years later, six years later, I've got so much stuff. I'm like, man, my attic needs more room. I need to get a storage unit. You just acquire a lot of possessions. This is starting to happen with Abraham. His bank account's going up. His wealth, his flock, all this is going up. And his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, they're starting to argue. They're starting to say, man, our shepherds are fighting over the land. How about this? Lot, you go and take whatever you want. I'll take the rest. We'll divide it up. We'll spread it out because we're all on top of each other. It would be like me saying, all right, everybody tonight, we're going to spend the night in this room and we're going to have dinner together. It would get really crowded quick, right? A lot of you would leave. I would too. Um, So what's going on um, is they're starting to divide it. Now, Lot, like any of us, what land would you choose, right? He chooses the beautiful land, the land that's fertile, the land that has lots of water. But what he doesn't know, for those of you who are real estate gurus in here, he uh, and chooses Sodom and Gomorrah. The property value is hot. The market is about to get really hot. If you know the rest of the story, it's not good. So what happens after this is he goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham goes the other way. Lot and his whole family moves there. And as he moves into this land of Sodom and Gomorrah, there's kings fighting. There's four kingdoms fighting over the land. They're arguing, and there's, there's war. They take Lot, the city, the kings go in, and they start fighting on this turf. And Abraham, it says, has to go in and rescue him. Now, after this, guess what happens when you beat an army? You get their spoils, right? You get the, the, the property. You get the land. You get all these things. So he gets more money, naturally, right? When you go into another country, you, you get more money. So... Abraham is approached by two kings, Melchizedek and the king of Sodom. Because he rescues Lot and he has all this, he is approached by Melchizedek and he gives a tenth of his offering to him from what he won from this war. Now the king of Sodom says, I don't want that. I want all of your people. Who who would just give all their people away, right? No one. He says, I'll take all your people. You keep all the riches. How does Abraham respond? No, man. 
that would mean that you made me rich and not God. I trust in God. So this is starting to, to show Abraham's faith through this process. Abraham wanted God to have the glory. He was remembering God's promises, and someone who just dishonored him would be dishonored. Going into chapters 15 through 17, be careful what you choose, even if it appears good. Notice Lot chose what seemed to be good. How many times do we choose things in life as believers that appear to be great, but they're not good? They're not what God's plan plan was for us. Everything that appears to be good is not always from the Lord. So a spiritual lesson and not not just a physical lesson about Sarah's inability to have kids. Now remember, they're old, 75, 65. People just don't have kids at that age. It takes faith even to even conceive this. But Genesis 15, 4 says, The Lord took Abraham outside and said, Look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Pay attention here. Verse 6, Rather than counting the stars, Abraham believed him. And counted him as righteous. So he believed God, but he didn't look up at his promises. Now, a question to you who would say facts in here and not amen. You know that song by One Republic that says, Lately I've been losing sleep, dreaming about the things that we could be. No more counting dollars, we'll be counting stars. I think Abraham inspired that. He was the first one. Because when he looks up, he's counting stars because those are God's promises over the wealth that he just chose. Or maybe that's just the youth pastor and me looking at that and connecting that. I don't know. But Sarah and Abraham begin to doubt. So Sarah begins to take things in her own hands. She says, God has promised me to, to have a kid and to have all these generations, but I can't, I can't have a child yet. So she takes it into her own, her own hands. She has Hagar, her maidservant, and she says, get with him, have a child. There, problem solved. I can't have kids. What happens is they, they have a child. God sends an angel to show compassion because what happens is even though Sarah can't have a kid and Hagar has a kid, Sarah begins to develop anger towards Hagar. That child is not hers. So Ishmael is the child's name, which means the Lord has heard your affliction. Now Ishmael appears in Scripture and later pops up towards the end. We, we, we hear a lot more about Isaac, but God ends up having a lineage and a generation born through Ishmael. But check this out. How often have you prayed for God to speed up something in your life and you just took it into your own hands, right? God, I want to be married. All right, I'm going to get married this year. Maybe that's not who God wanted you to be with. Maybe he wants you to be equally yoked. Or, or maybe a decision on a job or something that you rush, instead of taking time to pray about it, you put it into your own hands. I've done it. Genesis 18, be careful with your hospitality. You might be entertaining angels. Now, this is where the story it starts to shift. Abraham has three people come up to him outside of his tent. They're angels. So he, he greets them and he serves them a meal. And they say, where is Sarah? And he says, oh, she's off. She, she's over in the other tent. They say, well, this time next year, keep in mind Ishmael's already been born, Sarah will have a child. He's like, what? No, we already have a kid. So 
Abraham's wife, Sarah, is eavesdropping on the outside of the tent. Anybody in here ever, ever eavesdrop on a conversation? Youth, you do that to your parents all the time? Um, just kidding. Uh, but Abraham is, is astounded by this. And what happens is Sarah laughs. I'm, I'm scoffed. I'm not, I'm not going to have a kid. And then God begins to say why, to, to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Well, Sarah in her 90s denied laughing. So the third visitor looks out. This angel during this conversation looks out to Sodom and Gomorrah and says, I have seen the outcry of this city, the wickedness that is going on, the war that is going on. Their sin is grave. Now, some scholars would say this particular third angel was even God himself. Now, here, here's a small lesson inside of a lesson. God sent or God appeared to see the judgment of this land. He checked it out for himself. Think about that. How often do we listen to what he said, she said, and we go by that one thing that we hear, the missing context, the missing information, we hear a rumor, and we just run with it. It's not what God does. God said, I'm going to see in person. I'm going to check this thing out right now in person to see what is going on, and he does. God says to Abraham, he's going to pour out his judgment. Well, what does Abraham do? God, would you... Would you destroy the righteous? Because these other people are sinning in Sodom and Gomorrah? God says, okay, well, find me 50 people. I'll spare them. He can't. God says, find 40. Can't. 30. Can't. 20. Can't. So the question is, would God destroy the righteous because of the wicked? Abraham's bargaining with God. Now, I wonder if God, we were to ask God the question, if he looked down on Pooler Bible Church and said, God, is there any righteous in here? Is there any righteous in Pooler, Georgia? Would God look down on us and say, we, I have faithful servants, I would spare them. Now, I'm not saying God is going to send fire and brimstone down in this church, but just think about it. We like to look at this scripture and we like to judge them, but would God look at our hearts and say, our hearts are repentant and clean? It's a good question to ask. Genesis 19 the scene shifts to Sodom. The two angels arrive outside the city. Lot is there. Remember, he chose this land. He picked it. It's the good land. He's preparing a meal, and then all of a sudden, these angels come. They, they knock on the door, and there's a perverse group of people that want these angels. Now, this sets the tone for how, how evil the city was, just beautiful people being there, and then them desiring them. Well, they barricade the doors they try to break it down. The angels, this is almost like a scene in a movie, man. The angels blind them. The angels say, look, you got to get out of here. God is about to destroy this city. Get your family out. God is going to spare them. God does spare some people. He says, whatever you do, don't look back. I don't know about you, but whenever I tell the youth, don't look over there. Some of y'all look. That's the first thing they do is they look. Don't look back. Well, Lot's wife looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, this whole valley was destroyed. And we love this story, some people, because they're like, man, God is a God of judgment. He is a God of judgment. But he's also a God of sparing the righteous and those who repent. Going to Genesis 20, 
Uh, God can heal your enemies through prayer. Now, Abraham continues his journey. He's moving forward with Lot. He's moving forward with Sarah. And he encounters this king. His name is Abimelech. Now, he's had luck with going into cities and getting into kingdoms with his wife. Why? Because his wife is beautiful. So he does this trick again, guys. I can't believe it. Can you believe it? He pulls the same trick out of his pocket and says, I'm going to tell the king that's my sister. It worked one time. It'll work again. Well, he does it. Abimelech, they take in Sarah. God gives Abimelech a dream. He strikes Abimelech with a dream and says, don't touch her. Abimelech wakes and is like, why would you lie? Why would you say that that's your sister? Why wouldn't you just tell me that that was your wife. He said, well, this city is godless. Why would I? Well, something about this city, something about this place in Negev where Abimelech was, the children could not be born in this particular area. The women were barren. So what what does Abraham do? He prays for Abimelech, and it says God restored them. Imagine somebody taking your wife or kids, and then their salvation and their healing was dependent on your prayers. How often do we pray for our enemies? Man, God healed them of their barrenness through Abraham's prayer. And we later see that Abimelech joins up with Abraham for property and all these other things. It's super cool. So Genesis 21, at the age of 100, Abraham and Sarah have a child, Isaac. Sarah laughs again, but not because she can't have kids, but because she has a baby. She has a beautiful baby boy. They have a celebration. I would celebrate. I mean, we have baby showers and baby reveals, but at the age of 100, it had to be an awesome celebration. We know he's got money. We know he's got sheep and camels and all these things. They threw down. Now, at some point during this, Sarah looked upon Ishmael and said, cast him out. They got into some kind of dispute, whatever it was, made Sarah mad. And Abraham pleads with God, and God says, they shall go forth, and God will still make nations out of them. But they separate, and we see later in Scripture that Ishmael returns at Abraham's death when he's buried. So God did impossible things. For some people, they consider having children now in their current situation impossible, but at the age of 100, it's borderline nothing less of a miracle. Now, Genesis 22 is our closing text, and this is where we're going to about to, to wrap it up here. Genesis 22, 3 through 5 says, The next morning Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two servants with him. Along with his son Isaac, he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. This scripture right here has such an impact when you know the meaning behind it. This, verse 5, is the first time you will ever see the word worship mentioned in the Bible. Listen to what Abraham says. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship and we'll come right back. Does Abraham say anything about killing his son? No. Does Abraham say anything about bargaining with God? No. The word used here in Hebrew is shakai. I'm not a Hebrew speaker. That's probably the best pronunciation I can get. But anyways, it means to bow. 
Now, imagine this. Imagine you, God telling you to sacrifice your son. You rise up early. You take two of your homies with you, two of your buddies, and you say, wait right here. I'm going to go worship. I'm going to go bow before the Lord, and me and my son are going to be right back. That shows his faith right there. Think about this. Abraham doesn't bargain with God. He doesn't do the whole wife trick. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He's obedient. What's really intriguing to me is this guy has three days to think about this. Three days. He has a 45-mile walk with the wood he's chopped with his son to go sacrifice his son. What if you had to walk 45 miles to go get lunch today? That'd be a lot of thinking time, wouldn't it? Some of y'all, I ain't walking more than two minutes. So you have all this time to think. Now, if Abraham is describing his worship as obedience to God and sacrificing his son, think about the connotation, the connotation meaning the definition of that word. When you say you're going to go worship on Sunday morning, what do you, what do you mean? You mean being obedient to God? You mean just singing a few songs and getting out of here? You know what Abraham thought? Whatever God tells me even if it's sacrificing my son. Now, getting into this scripture here, I'm going to break it down one more time. Abraham takes the wood. He lays it at the altar. He takes the fire in his hand and the knife. He comes forward with his, his son laying down there. And you know, Isaac's got to be thinking, what's, where's, where's the sacrifice? Isaac would have sacrificed animals. He would have grew up seeing his dad do this whole process. He knew it. He would have helped. Where's the sacrifice at, Dad? Abraham says God will provide even to the end he says that God will provide I imagine Abraham had to have tears in his eyes I imagine looking at Isaac and trusting in the Lord and having faith but knowing what you were about to do reached out his hand and took out his knife in preparation to slaughter his son man an angel from heaven cries out, Abraham, with an exclamation mark. When there's an exclamation mark in Scripture, they practically yelled it. Do not lay your hands on him. I know you now fear God. Did Abraham trust God completely when he lied about Sarah? No. He put it in his own hands. Did Sarah trust God completely when she made uh, Abraham get with Hagar? No. Did Abraham trust God completely going into Sodom and Gomorrah? He begged God and pleaded God to not kill the righteous. Without Isaac, there's no inheritance of nations. God had already promised this guy nations of people. He walked with the Lord for 40 plus years. And an angel calls out to him and says, Stop what you're doing. There's a ram over there for the sacrifice. God will provide. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, or whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Nowhere in scripture, Jesus had not died on the cross. No one had been risen from the dead. There has been no such thing. And we see Abraham having faith in a God who has had promises over promises over promises. And he says, you know what? If God tells me to sacrifice my son, I'm going to do it. He was right about everything else. Why would he be wrong about this? Why would he betray me in this? God proved his faithfulness. Even before seeing people raised from the dead, he had the faith in God that God would do it. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus sending his son on the cross for you. We look at these scriptures and we look at the question, why would God allow Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? But have you ever thought about that, thought about the whole context of this passage and said, why would Jesus Christ send his son on an altar to die for your sins? Have you ever thought about that? Man, I'm not worthy. I'm For the sins that I've committed in my life, I'm not worth dying for. Jesus sent his son anyways. Jesus sent his son as a sacrifice anyways. So a better, a better question to ask is, why would, why, would God, why would God die for me? Now, how could God let Abraham sacrifice Isaac? We knew God, God had already shown Abraham the land, the money, the wealth. He saw God move and heal in Abimelech's camp. He saw God's wife allow, allow Sarah to have children when she couldn't at the age of 100, the young age of 100. He saw, he saw God purge evil in Sodom and Gomorrah. Every night he looked up, he had a reminder of the stars that God was promising him nations. Abraham had faith. Abraham had already saw God move. What about you? Do you believe in that same God? Do you believe in the same God, the maker of stars, that when he asks you something simple to do, like trust in my word, pray in my word, read, my, read the Bible, simple things, do you have faith in him? I know for me, I don't have this legacy story of faith, but I've seen God do enough in a minimal of 30 years of my life to trust him with my everything. Some of you in here, you're struggling stuff like crazy. You got all kind of problems going on. You got all kind of things going on. And you need to have faith in God. You need to trust in God. You need the missing piece. You need the context. You need faith. As a worship team comes up, a lot of times we want to shift the blame and point our fists to heaven. We want to ask these hard questions and ask, why would God do this? And a lot of times we're not reading our Bible. We're missing out on 10 chapters. We're missing out on 249 verses that explain the faith of Abraham. Now, from a youth pastor perspective, I can tell you this, and this is just my last caveat here. If you're not bringing your youth to church, if you're not bringing your children to church, if you're not coming to church, if you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying, you want to know who's raising your kids? The world. You know what the world is? Everything on TikTok Everything on social media, every wickedness thing you could think of, policies and politics that are getting passed, that are going on. God wants to move in your life, but he wants you to have faith in him. 
And if you're not going to the places and you're not going to the mountain, you're not making the sacrifice, the world will influence your kids. You've got to have faith in God. Whatever is holding you back, there is not a wooden altar, but there's an altar right here. Pray with your family. Pray for salvation. If you don't know Jesus, pray this morning. God wants to move in your life. It takes a step of faith. It takes believing in him.